You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I just want to uh, take a minute to thank our worship team. Our worship team is awesome here, and they did an awesome job this morning. But also, if you missed it, they had a worship night on Friday night. And they spent hours and hours. They do it differently. We put everybody right in the center of the room and do circular chairs. And it was just an awesome night. So, you know, we, we're going to have those every so often, but be paying attention. It's just an awesome time to come and spend singing and worshiping and remembering. Because that's what worship often does for us, right? It reminds us of who God is and who we are and where he stands in our life. And so that was an awesome night, Friday night. Um, so before I jump into my message I just want to show you some pictures. Josh and I were gone to Cali, Columbia last week, and we had an awesome, awesome time. Uh, this is the dream team, they're calling it, their uh, launch team. That's, But, you know, now they've officially launched the church. So New Testament Church, the NTC family, is responsible for planting a church in Cali, Columbia. This is our extended family. They all speak Spanish, um, in which I speak very little. But uh, we had a great translator. So this is the team. Uh, one of the funny pictures we took. That was our last night together. We'll go through a few pictures here. I'll just show you. Uh, this is the team again. We were all having dinner. You can keep going. Um, so this is the entrance to, it's just a cafeteria that we're renting. So um, nearby where Peter and Gloria live, there is a Baptist seminary, which is a really large grounds area, multiple buildings. It's actually not doing great, the seminary itself. And so they've been very open to renting all of their buildings out to different organizations, especially Christian organizations. And so uh, we went to them. It's a great spot because in Columbia, it really matters if you have a guarded area. Uh, if anybody wants to go to your church with a car, they won't go unless there's guards. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, you can just imagine why. So this is a guarded area. It's all enclosed with a large fence and guards. It's really great. So uh, we rented the cafeteria in that space. And this is just the entrance to it. And you can see what we did. Josh and I spent some time, uh, like, drilling into the ceiling and hanging the curtains you can see in the background and hanging the projector screen and just getting it set up so that it was a little bit conducive. They had 70 chairs in there. And as we set up the 70 chairs on Saturday night, I said, Peter, you're going to have a problem. I don't think this is enough chairs. He's like, oh, I like your, th your faith, but I'm not sure. And uh, on Sunday, there was 79 people. So um, that was an awesome service. About 55 to 60 adults and about 20 to 25 kids, um, depending on, you know, we were trying to count, but, you know, it's difficult sometimes when everybody's moving around. So they had an awesome time, a lot of young families, a lot of young people. Um, you know, Cali has a few very large uh, mega churches, and I mean, I'm talking very large, tens of thousands of people, and they, so it's kind of this weird, there's, there's these huge, huge churches, just a few of them, and then there's tons and tons of little, tiny, 30-person, 20-person churches, and so, and now, Cali is over 2 million people, um, very uh, Catholic on its origins, but you know what, there's a lot of work to do there. And they, you know, just in this last year that they've been kind of focusing and getting to this point of really launching their services, I honestly just said, you guys are going to need more space. You're going to need more chairs. I'm believing that God's going to really just do something incredible um, in that city. And so we're excited. We're get to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I, when I go to something like this, I'm just like, I, I can't believe I'm here. 
In South America, in Colombia, a guy from Messina who can say hola. You know, one of my friends from Mexico City, another pastor I know through Manhouse, he texted me because I had put a little video up of our prep work. And he said, oh, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. And I said, I don't. <laughs> I'm just here, like, smiling and encouraging people to do something that they can do. And that's really, like... The part we play, yeah, we're supporting and we're praying and we're financing, but really what we're doing is encouraging other believers to believe that God has purpose for their lives. To believe that if they wanted, they could start another church and see God do awesome things through them and around them and in their city. And that's what they believed. They believed it was possible, and this team has now started a church, and we get to be a part of that. I don't know about you, but that's incredible. So um, also, just a reminder, if you haven't, we are raising money for Encasa Church. Um, and it's not just us. It's a, a number of churches around. We're all raising. We're, we're looking to raise $40,000 for them total. And that will help sustain them for a couple of years to buy the things they need to, you know, really get everything up and running. They still need stuff for kids' church and some stuff like that. We want to be able to pay their rent for a while. And we also want to be able to purchase a car for Peter and Gloria so they can actually do ministry well. Right now they have to rent a car every time they do something, uh, which is difficult. And it, it's about eighteen dollars to $20,000 for a car. And uh, I'm praying and believing that we're going to have enough money to do that by the end of February for them. So if you have it on your cards, on your, or in the seat backs in front of you, there's a, an envelope you know, for our giving normally. I, actually, I don't know. Is it an envelope or is it a card? Someone that knows more than me, tell me. It's a card. You're sitting there looking at them. Um, and you can look at it, and you can pledge to give towards Encasa. Also, we're raising money for Messina Projects, and it's on there separately. But if you want to pray and consider giving, be a part of what God's doing in the world, um, this is just an awesome opportunity. So, yeah, uh, you can keep going. Let's look at a few more pictures. Here's during the service. I just stepped back. you got Peter and the worship team. He has, like, more musicians. He's a musician, right? And you attract who you are. That's how it works. You reproduce who you are. He has more musicians than he knows what to do with. Um, I laughed at this picture because this, girl, this lady, who's an excellent translator, is kind of short, and she makes me look like a giant for some reason. I'm like, whoa, why do I look so tall? My head's hitting the ceiling, it looks like. But it's also the way the picture's taken. Um, that's Peter. I snapped some pictures. Peter's such a pastor, like such a good man. Um, this is just some great people during worship. Yep. I think that might be it. All right, so there's some pictures of your extended family in Cali, Colombia. Isn't that excellent? Um, we're so happy to be a part of that. All right, how's everyone doing? You awake? Is there, like, some important football game today? So I don't know anything. Like, people come up to me, guys, like, and they start talking about football or sports. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't watch that stuff. I'm sorry. I, I, it's, it makes me feel like the least bit of a man, just to be honest. Um, but listen, I like tools and John Deere, and uh, cutting things, but I just can't watch a screen about someone else playing a game. I don't know why I can, can't bring myself to care. I will go to a live game all day and love it, but on a screen, I just think about all the things I could be doing. Um, but you do your thing. All right, so there's a football game today. But uh, here we are. We're talking about maturity, right? Two weeks ago, I kind of 
kicked off this theme we're in just for a minute. Justin spoke last week, and I talked about maturity. What does it mean for us as Christians to actually be mature in Christ? You know, some of the scriptures that we read were talked about being perfect as Jesus is perfect and holy and, and all these things. It almost feels like it's off too far in the distance or this impossible thing that we can't quite get a hold of. But that whole message was to say, listen, it's not something that's too far in the distance. In fact, we know Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. We have holiness. We are perfect just the way we are because he's perfect. But it, just, but it also means that we're in the process of holiness. I ended on Hebrews 10. And it said, we are perfect as he is perfect, but we are those who are being made holy. So there's this process happening in us. And if as Christians we just come to church, or we go to small group, and we just kind of attend and don't ever let God do the work within us, then what we've done is we've crossed the starting line of Christianity and we've stopped. But there is a finish line. And, you know, I often see people finish poorly. Uh, in ministry, it happens way more often than I care to admit. People start off and they're gung-ho and and it's like we're so excited to do something for God, but then you get near the end of sometimes people's lives or something tragic happens or some sort of failure happens in them in a moral way. And people tend to finish poorly at times. And I've been thinking about it recently because when I look at someone finishing poorly, you know what happens? We forget all the other stuff they did. And it's not necessarily right, but there's this importance about finishing in a healthy way in our Christianity. I want to get to the end of my life and not be regretful for how I spent the last couple years. Or that I got tired maybe in Christianity. You know, it says don't grow weary in doing what is right. That there's this place where sometimes we just get tired of, of the effort it takes to do the things God calls us to do. You know, I saw this meme recently, and you've probably seen it. And it just has this kind of list of things. It's like, you know, being overweight is hard. Being skinny is hard. Choose your hard. And it goes down this list of these contradictory ideas in our world, but at the end of the day, it's saying that they're both hard. And at the end of the day, life's a little hard. We can admit that. It's not going to come easy. And so we have to choose our heart. And in Christianity, there's a place where, yes, God has saved us with his grace and he's imputed his righteousness on us and we're perfect in his eyes, but he still wants us to change. <laughs> he wants us to grow. Now, I read out of Hebrews and James and the writers there, they, they make this you know, likeness to us being babies and still drinking milk, but yet we should be eating meat. That there's a place where we're not meant to just be babies in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to mature into full adults. In Ephesians, it says, in all the fullness of Christ, this, this kind of mind-boggling idea that we're supposed to mature in all the fullness of Christ, that everything that makes Christ who he is is what's supposed to make us who we are. And that's an endeavor. It's a work process. It takes time. It takes effort. And so I wanted to start in 1 Timothy 4.8 this morning. In this scripture that Paul writes to, to Timothy, which is really kind of his son in the faith. Timothy is a pastor in the Ephesian church, and Paul's often writing to him and encouraging him and telling him things. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, physical training is good, 
But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. You know, we heard Bruce talk about the benefits of what it means to follow God. That there is benefits that God wants in our life, but he's saying physical training is good. And he's talking to a group of people that actually understood what it meant to do physical training. But he says, but training for godliness is much better. Training. Has anybody ever been in a training situation before? Now, I can only ever talk about my wife in this way, and I said that last time. And I've seen my wife train in these endless, difficult ways to run a single race. She'll run hundreds and hundreds of miles to to, uh, get ready and train for a single run. And that's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking at this life that God's called us to that we're training for godliness. It means that we're actually working out our Christian and spiritual man, our Christian and spiritual life, the spirit within us, so that when we come to obstacles and difficulties, we aren't out of breath. We aren't just immediately worn out. We don't just give in to what the easiest thing. We don't go through the drive through of McDonald's of life. That we train for godliness. We actually work our muscles for godliness. That's something within us. And this next scripture, it's not in your notes, but I, I think I put it on the screen. It's Matthew 15, 18. I want to read this. This is the way Jesus says something very similar. Matthew 15, 18. We'll start in 17, actually. It says this, Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Good insight, Jesus. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. See, he's using this likeness that we understand that the food we eat goes goes to our stomach and it feeds our bodies and then we get rid of the rest. And Jesus starts to liken this to something else that actually makes us into the people we are. And he talks about the words we speak. Today's message is all about the tongue, what comes out of our mouth. And I think about this idea of training and training in Christianity, and I look through the scriptures and I see that there's just a really immense amount of scripture and language that talks about what comes out of our mouth. And it's funny because it kind of feels like the opposite of what we're, we're saying when we, you know, what we eat is what makes us who we are, right? If you talk to any nutritionist or any person that works out at a gym, you can't just go and work out all the time. It really matters what you're taking in. Because what you're taking in is what's going to create who you are. And in Christianity, Jesus starts to say what you put out actually starts to create who you are. And I think about this. And this has been true since the beginning of time. If you go right back to Genesis 1, we see this incredible power in words. It says Jesus creates the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars. And it says he spoke those things into existence. And then he creates men and women. He creates humankind in his likeness. And I think that our words have power. And so the things we speak actually create. Go down just another verse or another scripture in your notes. Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue 
has the power of life and death. That what comes out of our mouth has the ability to build up life or to actually destroy and create death. You know, I've made fun of this in the past, the, that, whole, that old saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's like the biggest lie ever. I've been hit with lots of sticks and stones. I have two older brothers. I don't even remember those moments. I remember the hard things they said to me at times. I remember when someone says something cutting and maybe something that is negative and something that kind of tears you down. For some reason, that sticks with us, doesn't it? It's because in those words, in our tongue, is the power of life and death. And then the, the proverb goes on and says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. <laughs> it means whichever one you choose, that's what you're going to eat. And it's this whole idea that what we speak is actually going to create who we are. You ever been around someone who's negative? Do they say positive things? No. It's extremely simple. It's like, well, you're so negative because that's what you're always saying. That's what you're always agreeing with. It's what you always believe to be true, and so we end up repeating these things, and we do it to ourselves. It happens in our mind. It happens in our words. We have this rhetoric about our own lives, and we might say, well, I'm never going to be good enough, or, or that's too hard for me, or, or I can never be like that Christian, or I look across the room, and I could never pray like that, or I could, I could never memorize a scripture like that, or I could never help someone get saved like that. I'll tell you what I used to say. I would never be able to help start a church. I don't know what happened. I stopped believing the lie I was telling myself. And I started saying, you know what? Maybe I'm just a little audacious and ignorant enough to believe Jesus can use me. And I literally say those things to myself. Sometimes the rhetoric in my head, I repent for because it gets a little arrogant. But I'm telling you, it actually builds me. I say to myself, Greg, you can do that. Don't listen to that person. You can do what they said you can't do. You're not too young. It just doesn't matter that you didn't go to school. I say those things to myself. So that when people say them to me, I'm like, meh. Because my words build me up. And the words we say about each other build each other up. Or they tear each other down. And there's this sign that we see from Jesus' words. And we start to see all throughout Paul's language and through the the letters to the church is that there's this place, if you want to be marked as a Christian with maturity, what you say matters drastically. How you speak matters drastically. Want to know one of my pet peeves? You can put this in your bank so you don't come and do it to me, all right? Someone who complains about something without giving a solution. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't notice that. Sorry, that's my, my sarcastic side coming out. Like, someone comes and complains about the most obvious thing that's happening. Oh, really? I didn't know. Any solutions? <laughs> because there's this place where sometimes complaining drags us to this place where we're not building anything anymore. We're just tearing down. And so we become expert destruction people. You know, I, I've talked to some friends um, over the years, you know, people know I love to do construction stuff, and they're like, oh, I love construction. I love the demo part. 
That's the opposite of construction. It's literally called deconstruction. And I'm like, okay, you can't be good at the tearing down part without learning the building up part. Who cares if you can swing a sledgehammer real hard? I mean, we still need it sometimes. But the truth is, what matters most in this world is how we build up. It's how we construct. It's not how we deconstruct. You know, there's this whole thing going on in Christianity. Maybe you've heard that word, deconstructionism. And it's this whole place where people my age and younger, they're, they're going through Christianity almost letter by letter or scripture by scripture. They're going through doctrine by doctrine and they're deconstructing. And, and honestly, a lot of the church world is kind of afraid of it and they're speaking out against it. But I, I would say this. There's nothing wrong with deconstructing as long as you're willing to reconstruct after. I actually love renovations. I don't mind building new things like a, a brand new home. I just did a new addition. But I love going to an old, broken down house and seeing the potential that's still there. I look past the plaster and the terrible wiring and the, the old cast iron plumbing and the smell and, and whatever else, the, the interesting color toilet that they chose in the 70s and, and all the things. I look past that and I think about what could be. And there's this place where I come into my house. So I bought my house five years ago. And the, the whole first month was just demo. Tearing out the plaster that was in there and tearing out the toilets and all this stuff. And you're throwing this all in there. Now, the whole time, I'm not like, oh, I hate this stuff. The whole time, I'm thinking, oh, I can't wait to put the new one in. This is what words do for our lives. There's a place where we want to be able to renovate when we think poorly. So you let some deconstructionism happen in your life, but only with the idea that you're going to reconstruct something new and better in its place. And I'll tell you what, that should happen in Christianity. Because we've built some things that are a little bit ugly now. I don't literally mean our building, because I think it looks beautiful. But maybe we've built some doctrines around some ideas that aren't quite what Jesus wanted us to understand, and we might come to a realization, oh, that doesn't quite look right. I might have to take some pieces apart, but we can't ever just deconstruct our world or our beliefs without allowing the scriptures to reconstruct it for us. And so there's this place where God has given us this power in the words we speak and in the words that we share and in the words that we listen to. And if we want to be mature Christians, and we have to be extremely aware that everything we say has the power of life and death. Proverbs 13.3 says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we know that. Should be on the top of every Facebook post. James 1.26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is useless. Ouch. In fact, I would say this might be the biggest painful realization if we're holding a mirror up, like I talked about last week. If we're holding a mirror up in front of our Christianity, this one should hurt us in a rightful way. Because sometimes we say, love one another like God has loved us, and then we don't love one another. <laughs> 
or we say hurtful things. Or we don't speak the truth in love. We just speak some truth, but it's loud and it's noisy and it's deconstruction. It hurts people and it tears people down. Instead of building people up, we actually become experts at demo rather than those who build up. Because we're afraid of what the world's building. We might look out there and we might see, oh, but look, but look what the politics are saying. Look what, look what CNN is saying. Look what Fox News is saying. And so we just get really good at tearing down things, but we don't get good at building things up. And I read this, this scripture from James, who is very blunt. I would have liked James. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself in your religion is useless. I think sometimes I've ran into people who have just had it up to here with words that came from Christianity and in their mind our religion is useless. And there's this place where I hear people speak truth at times, but they don't do it in a mature way and it only hurts people, it doesn't build them up. And there's this tension between that as a Christian. We, we, of course, we see what the Bible's teaching us and we see truth in there, but there's a place and a, a way to deliver truth that's called to build people up or called to pull people higher, not to tear them down. Sometimes we forget that the purpose of truth is to win people, not to win an argument. We see James and he's really just challenging the church here saying, listen, what you say matters. If you can't control your tongue, it's just foolishness and, and your religion is useless. He's challenging them to say, listen, look, in your, look at yourself in the mirror. How do you talk about people around you? James 3, 1 through 12. I want to read a number of scriptures there. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. They'll be on the screen as well. James, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. There's that perfect word again. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And could also control ourselves in every other way. I think James and Paul and Jesus are trying to get us to understand that our words have such power that, that maybe there's these places in our lives where we struggle to control ourselves, to have self-control, maybe over sin patterns and difficulties and the ways we think and the things we give into. And he's saying, listen, if you could just learn to control your tongue, you'd be able to control everything else. And I think there's a reason for that because what we confess tends to be what we do or become. And so if we confess, well, this sin is just too, too hard for me to give up. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You're probably not going to give it up. You know, a lot of people, they, uh, in Christianity, I would say, in years recently have kind of trashed or talked down about word of faith. You know what word of faith is? It's a little bit on the hyper side where people just, they're declaring something before they ever see it happening. It's especially around healing. Like, let's just have a word of faith and believe regardless of what's happening in this person's life. We're going to declare something. And, and it's, 
there's a there's a tension in that that I would I would honestly disagree with. Like, man, we have to look at reality too and pray for the current situation. But but I also think there's something right in this word of faith thought. Because what it is is it's now speaking out something that maybe you don't see as possible but might be possible. And so you speak something even before it's true. Now, I've, I've walked with a number of people who have struggled with addictions, and, and I've never struggled with, with too many hard addictions. I've had a couple in my life, but, but nothing crazy. And so the truth is I can't honestly fully relate to someone who, is, who has been wrapped up in an addiction, especially drugs, for years and years. But what I usually say to them is start saying something that you think is impossible. <laughs> say, I'm going to quit this. I'm going to be free from this. Because most of the time when I talk with people who are, who are in addiction, they don't say that stuff. They're like, it's too hard. It's impossible. I've tried a hundred other times. Their rhetoric is the opposite. And if we could just somehow start to change our own rhetoric about our own lives, I think the things we would, we would actually be declaring would start to come true. And that's what James is trying to say. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He says, what you eat or what you speak, it's going to be who you are. That we could learn to control ourselves in every other way. That, that somehow freedom would come into our lives if we could just actually speak it out. You know, as a, as a father, my biggest downfall is I like things to be perfect. And I have five kids. You do the math. It never works out. I want the shoes in the right place. In the winter, I don't want snow tracked across my floor. You know, just the simple things. But it never happens, right? Anybody else a dad? You know, don't, don't stare at me too glaringly. And so I've struggled at times with getting angry over stupid stuff. Like, man, put your shoes away. Why are they all the way over here? Look at the puddle on the floor. And I get upset like that. And that's how I'll talk, just like that. God, what are you doing? And I've literally, turn the lights off. <laughs> turn the music down. Stop yelling. Like, there's this, this voice that comes out as a dad, and there's times where I've gotten angry, and, and I realize later, man, I shouldn't have acted that way. And what really triggered me at one point is my son said, Dad, you make me feel stupid. I'm going to cry because it's a terrible thing, actually. And when he said that, I was like, I was thankful for it. It hurt. It still hurts. <laughs> I was thankful because I realized, you know what? What's more important, the stupid shoes or if I'm building up my son? And so I pray, I now say to myself, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to care about the snow on the floor. I'm not, I literally coach myself. Now, it sounds funny. It sounds like just coaching, but honestly, I believe it has power. I'm not going to get mad about that. I don't care about whether they put their shoes in the right order. I don't care if those coats are hung up. No, don't care. Don't care. Don't care, Greg. You don't care. <laughs> and I'll tell you what's happened. It changed me. It changed me. I, I kind of started not caring. I think Jessica sometimes thinks I should care a little more now. She's like, are you going to get involved with this? I'm like, nope, nope, I don't care. <laughs> but it did. It, it started to change me. I started to, to remember and realize in that moment, instead of going, oh, my gosh, why can't my kids just put their shoes away? What's going on? In this? Instead of the words that coach my rhetoric in the long way, I started to say, no, I'm not going to care about this. 
And so then I become constructive in my kids' lives instead of a, a memory where I'm deconstructing them. So there's this place where I, I realize and I want God to work through me as someone who builds up the world around me, who builds up people, who builds up the church, not someone who tears it down. And when I look through scripture, I think one of the most incredible ways we do that is through our words. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says this, but I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Ouch. I think I've spoken a lot of empty words. You know, empty word simply means it's something we probably say without giving much thought to it. Anybody ever do that? I'm really good at it. <laughs> I'm really good at just saying what's on my mind. It's not always thought through. It's not always filtered correctly. It doesn't always go through the should Jesus or does Jesus want me to say this filter. But there's this place where Jesus says, you're going to have to give an account for every word, for every empty word. you That's it almost seems a little heavy, like, Jesus, man, you've just forgiven us for all our sins, but then you say that? It's because there's such weight on how we speak. There's such weight on what we do with our words in this world. So how do we control our tongue? Psalms 19, I want to turn there. How do we learn to control our tongue? First, I think we have to change what we say. But sometimes, if you're like me, it's hard. Especially the older you get. Because you see, the older we get, we build mindsets. In fact, science teaches us this. The science of neurology teaches us that there are certain things in our world that trigger ways of thinking and thoughts. That we actually build neural pathways between a moment or a situation or even something we see or smell or hear and it goes to a certain thought or a certain way of acting. Science teaches us this. I just think science proves how God built us. And so we see there's this place where we, as we get older, we actually have built these neural pathways or these ways of thinking, these mindsets that teach us to act and react in certain ways based on certain environments. And what we see in Romans 12, you, and you heard Justin talk about this last week, that we have to be renewed by the renewing of our minds, it says. That there's something God wants to rebuild within our thinking so that what we say starts to be different. And it takes time. It's work. Your neural pathways don't just change in a moment very easily. If, and what it does is it takes a, a, a repeated action to rebuild how you think. And so every time I say, I don't care about the shoes being a mess on the floor, I'm building a new pathway. God's renewing the way I think so that I care more about building my kids up than the shoes that I'll probably miss in 10 years. And so how do we actually change? How do we control our tongue? Psalms 19, I love this, 1914. This is a psalm, right? This is a song being written uh, by David. And he says this at the end, and I, I feel like it's a prayer. So my first encouragement to you, if you want to control your tongue, if you want to change the way you, you speak, pray. <laughs> David writes this, he says, May the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, I'd actually encourage you, if you really struggle with speaking in ways that you know you shouldn't or your tongue feels out of control in your life, I would say this, and this is actually going to be my challenge to us. Every, every morning this week, we get up and we pray something like this. Start there. Read Psalms 19.14 every morning out loud. And I, I can guarantee you, you're going to start to change. Because immediately what it does is it reminds us that our, word, our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to him. I tell you what, there are probably a lot of things that happen in my heart and in my mouth that aren't overly pleasing to God. But when I'm thinking straight and when I'm, when I'm remembering what God wants to do in me and when I'm saying the things that God wants to say, well, then it actually changes me. And so the words of my mouth would be different today. I think we should wake up and pray that. God, let our words be constructive today. Let my words build people around me today. Let my words build me today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. First, we've got to pray. You want something to change in you? Pray it. The second one is this. Captivate our thoughts. You know, um, Dave Barnum, I don't know if, People remember Dave, but Dave was worked here year, almost 20 years ago now, pastor here, and really was a great mentor to me for years. And he said this thought to me. I was struggling with some things. Um, actually, I'll go all the way back to what I was struggling with just to be, you know, since I'm being vulnerable today here. Um, I was still struggling with drinking, and I was a Christian. I know. And uh, I actually had gone out on my birthday and gotten just drunk. I didn't intend to, but if you go to a bar and you drink and think you're not going to drink too many and you always do drink too many, it's really just dumb. <laughs> and I'd gotten drunk and I was feeling horrible and guilty. Anybody ever been there before in some way, in something in your life? I was feeling horrible and guilty. Like, you know, I'm going to tell the whole story. It's the first time I'm ever confessing this out loud. Sorry, Adam Avery. The, the morning after my birthday, I was, I was supposed to be a chaperone on a youth trip. So you can imagine how I felt that morning. I was sick. I didn't get up on time. Adam called me, and I, I remember waking up to the phone. I'm feeling sick. I'm remembering. I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? I'm a horrible Christian. Jesus, I still have so many issues. And Adam's like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm sick. <laughs> I was, but it was a half lie. I didn't tell him why I was sick. And I remember that next day I called Dave and I just was like, I poured my guts out. I said, man, I am the worst. Like, I can't do this thing. And he just said, Greg, stop. He said, your thoughts always precede your action. And I realized he's right. Every time I found myself in trouble, I thought about it first. I thought, hey, my friends just invited me out for a couple drinks. Should I do that? Yeah, and I reasoned with myself back then. Oh, I, I can do just two. I can do just two. I'm an extreme person, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I can't just do two of anything. And I would reason with myself. I would think about it, and I'd convince myself of one thing. And Dave said, your thoughts always precede your action. You have to capture your thoughts first. And he quoted this scripture to me then. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. You want to change what you say, you've got to change what you think. 
You've got to change what happens up here in your head. So when you wake up in the morning and your first thoughts are negative, your first, first thoughts are kind of deconstructing or, or destructive even to yourselves or to the other, to world around you, if the first thing you do is turn on the news, don't do that. Open up some scripture. Let Jesus speak some truth into you. Let him start to work. You know what I don't do anymore? I used to get up, first thing I do is check my emails. And as a pastor, you'd think all my emails are pleasant, but they're not. And as of late, I have lots of unpleasant ones. They come from a lawyer. And I, and I would get up and I would read those, and guess where my mind would be? There. Struggling with difficult things. And for me, I'm a fix-it. Oh, i got to fix it. And, so I'd, and I'd, there goes thinking about Jesus. And I realized a couple years back, almost three years ago now, that I'm like, if I get up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is thank Jesus for who he is. And I'm going to remember what he's done for me. And so I spend this time, I won't look at my phone, I don't look at text messages, I don't look at my emails until I get into the office, because I want my mind to start right in the morning. Because I know if my mind starts right, then my heart actually gets centered on Jesus, and then everything I say is going to be better. It's not perfect, you can ask the staff, but it's better. And so I become someone who builds up instead of someone who just wants to complain about what's wrong with the world. This is a sign of maturity in a Christian. If we can learn to control our tongue, we have to captivate our thoughts. Philippians 4.8. I want to end with this. Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That should pinch us a little bit if we think about all the things that we let into our mind. If we think about the shows we watch, if you want to, if you're struggling in your marriage, don't watch shows where divorce happens a lot or where someone's dating someone else every other week. I'm telling you, what we put in builds our thoughts and then builds what we say. It builds our rhetoric for our lives. It builds what actually happens in our, the actions of our lives. And so we have to think about what actually goes into our mind. And Paul here saying, fix your thoughts. It means stay steady on this thing. He says, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I'm telling you, if we could get our minds to be on that place, then our words would be different. If I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is think about all the things I'm frustrated about with my wife. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to start saying them. And then guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. Wake up in the morning and think about all the things you're grateful for your spouse for. Think about the things that just give you joy from your children. Think about the things that you love about your job. Don't go in and think about, oh, God, I can't stand that guy. I can't stand this project. I can't. I'm telling you, it's going to change your world. Fix your thoughts on what's lovely and pure and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. And that will change what comes out of our mouth. 
will be known as people who build up, who encourage, who see things lifted instead of things torn down. So I want to encourage you today. Listen, this I told you this, I hope this isn't too heavy, but this is this year, I, I'm believing God wants to show us a mirror, not so that we look at ourselves maybe even in a disgusted way, but just so we take a little bit of an account and say, okay, God, I want to be better at this. And I'll tell you, some of training, it's an all-the-time thing. Ask anybody who's trained for something. It doesn't mean you don't have to keep training ever in your life. If you're a runner and you want to keep running, you have to keep training. And so, yes, you might have great seasons in your life where your words and your thoughts have been good, but sometimes we just get settled and low on the training and we find ourselves relaxed and then we find ourselves in a different camp of thinking, in a different camp of speaking. And God just wants to pull us back centered again that we would be mature in Christ, that we would be full of of Jesus, that we would say the things Jesus would say. This is what he's looking for from us as individuals and from us as a church. So fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure. And I I wanna challenge you this. Pray each morning this week. This is my challenge for the Holy Spirit to help you captivate your thoughts and control your tongue. Find a psalm, find a scripture, and pray it. I'm gonna have Bruce come up. finish out of James here it says indeed we put bits in horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body look also at ships although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires even so the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things see how great a forest of a little fire kindles and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the very course of nature. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm cut to the heart. <laughs> and uh, I'm, a, I'm a master at demolition. And uh, I need to get better at the reconstruction side. So this is a, a word that's well-timed for me Um, Any of you ever have a really good day and you can ruin it at the end just by saying something that you shouldn't say? (laughs) Um, Maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. This is something that we all have to do better in. Just like Justin spoke last week, things aren't going to just happen by themselves. We've got to have some purpose for this. We've got to put some effort into this. And I love what Greg just shared with us about Every day this week, let's fill ourselves, our lives with something from God that can, so our tongues can do a better job for us, right? We're not all about demolition all the time, getting things right, making sure that um, somebody else's life, looking at the speck in somebody else's eye when we have a beam in our own, right? So um, God help us. Uh, It's a great word because anytime Jesus speaks, It's deconstructive, but then it reconstructs something far greater. Amen. Let's believe God for um, a better use of our tongue this year. Every day, just like Greg said. Father, we just thank you this morning, Father, for your word. It's infallible, and it will complete that which it was set out to do. 
in our midst today, Father. Help us, Lord God, to be mindful of this word all week, Father, that we would indeed uh, take in truth and the good things, think on those things which are pure and holy, Father, that we would be able to speak those words just like Jesus said, I only say those things the Father tells me to. Father, that we would speak encouragement, construction. Father, that we would be, that we would bless others with our tongue, Father. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray a blessing over everybody here. Lord, give us the words to share with those around us, those we work with, Lord God, and our family members, our loved ones. Father, we speak kindness, Lord God. Help us this week, Father to be better with our tongues in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.